Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. Today we're talking with Michael Roderick. This is gonna be an amazing show. I'm telling you right now, he was a teacher, gun Broadway producer. This guy knows networking. It's like he's listened to AOC and just digested all this information and we're gonna talk about some really great concepts from the spectrum of anxiety around asking for something from people in your network, how to create it, how to not think of it as networking. Of course, you've heard that on the show before. We're gonna take a unique spin on it. Breaking your network down into four categories and know who to focus your energy and time on, four archetypes you find at large events, how being one of them can help you conquer anxiety about approaching someone, and something called the gate strategy, which creates balance in your life around giving, asking, thanking, and experimenting within your connections, within your network. This is fantastic, we went extra long, we even created a masterclass for a social capital product out of some of this episode. So enjoy this one with Michael Roderick. With that, welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with The Art of Charm and get some great stuff that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up at theartofcharm.com. We'll email you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language, nonverbal communication, persuasion, business networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. I'm also doing regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward every single week. We've also got our live programs running every week here in Los Angeles. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you're committed to your own growth. Get in touch ASAP by phone or just email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. Get some info from us now so you can plan ahead. I also want to encourage you to join us in our social capital challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed to 33444. This is about making you a better networker, a better connector, developing personal and professional relationships all around you. It is epic, we're getting a ton of great feedback on it, and if you want some accountability, please invite your friends as well. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed. That's charmed to 33444, and they can join the challenge too. Now, Michael Roderick. So, Michael, thanks for joining us. Tell us what you do in one sentence. I help entrepreneurs create a smart relationship design for their lives by helping them curate, extend, and leverage their existing networks. Okay, and that's sort of like loaded. Half the people just tuned out, but basically what this means in layman's terms, right, is we're talking about you've got a Rolodex full of people, you wanna make sure that it's got the best people for you and for other people in that same Rolodex curation, right? Make sure the right people are in it and also to grow it. Yeah, exactly. The sort of simple like non, hey, this is who I am entrepreneur thing is I help you spend more time with the people that you wanna spend time with and less time with the people that you don't. 
Okay. And want to spend time with can include friends and family, or are you talking about strictly for business purposes? Honestly, I have found that a lot of people, it ends up working with both friends and family as well as for business purposes. Basically, curating your network and really thinking very carefully about who you bring into your life can help you in both areas. And it's funny because a lot of the time we harp on what we put in our bodies, we harp on what technology we use, But when you ask the average person, do you really think about who you allow into your life and who do you really spend time with? Very few people take the time to curate that or think about that. Okay. You know, that's very true because a lot of times we make friends as kids because it's the kids on our street. And then later as we get a little older, it's the kids in our school. And then high school, it's the kids on your sports team. College, it's the kids that live near you that you have group projects with. Maybe you sit near in certain classes, and then as adults, it's whoever's at work, maybe in the adjacent office or in your working group or however the company is organized. Very seldom is it, oh, well, I selected pretty much everybody in my life based on them being a high-quality individual, them being in a similar industry or niche, them having similar goals, them being interested in helping me achieve my goals and me achieve their, help them achieve theirs. That's almost never the case. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time we just sort of like, we have our friends and we choose our friends based on, uh, existing sort of social circles or proximity. Exactly. The groups that we sort of really, really like. And we don't actually ask like, what is my interaction with this person? How do I feel when I'm around this person? And are they as invested in my success as I have been in theirs? It's it's rare that we take the time to think about that. It's super rare. And the best and most successful people, or at least the ones that are most comfortable with this, are not only deliberate about this process, but they do it in a way that's non-robotic and feels good to the people as a part of the process. Because of course, when you're starting this, and one of the reasons that most people hate quote unquote networking is because if you do it poorly, you feel like a used car salesman and everybody else feels used. Yeah, exactly. So you're designing win-wins for what it sounds like. Exactly. To to really use a crap cliche that everyone hates, you're using (laughs) win-wins. Excellent. But you didn't start by doing this. I mean, tell us a little bit about your background. You know, why should I listen to you? What do you know about win-win? Yeah, yeah. So the fun sort of aspect is um, I started out as a high school English teacher, and I went from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in under two years. Naturally, sure. <laughs> so, so that's usually the one that's just like, what, how, what, you know, what's that all about? And took the class to see cats and stayed. Exactly. I was just like, that's the way to do it. I just hung around all these other producers and I was like, be my friend. And of course they were just like, oh yes, I want to be your friend. Instantly, right. Yeah. (laughs) Good. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. (laughs) That process seems tough because any industry, especially something as, I don't want to say pretentious and I don't want to say niche because I have no experience with it, but something so elite probably is the uh, polite descriptor of something like showbiz. It seems like there would be a lot of closed doors to the new guy. Yeah. Insular. Exactly. Exactly. One of my uh, mentors is uh, Ken Davenport, who's a uh, pretty popular Broadway producer now. And Ken used to say that it was one of those cases of the second that the door opened for you in the producing world, you would step in and then it would slam shut. And it really is like that in a lot of ways. Like once you've kind of broken into those circles, there is a lot of protection around the decision makers within the Broadway space, especially investors versus producers. So investors are just putting money into shows, whereas producers, they may be putting money into shows, but they're also 
aggregating investors. So there's a lot of guardedness around that community for sure. So how do you break into that? I mean, that's the key, right? Because you you managed to do that and you systemized it and now you're gonna teach that system to us. Yeah, so basically, the thing that I learned that was the most important was that within the Broadway world, credit is like the biggest thing, right? So if you want to be a Broadway producer, your natural inclination is to basically be like, okay, I'm going to raise this amount of money and I want to be above the title on this particular show. But the problem is you've got a bunch of producers who they all want credit too. So if you're going to them and saying, I want to raise this money and I want to get credit, it becomes this negotiation. And then you really have to prove yourself in a lot of different ways. And if you haven't raised money before, or if you're very early on in sort of the money raising process, a lot of those people are just not going to let you in. Right. So the way that I looked at it was I said, okay, if credit's the big thing and it's the big issue, why don't I just kind of take that out of the equation and find a couple of producers that I think are on their way up and sort of making things happen and say, listen, I just want to get better at raising money. So give me your deal flow and I'm going to see if I can find some investors for you and help you become more successful in the work that you do. And a bunch of producers were very open to that because I wasn't coming to them with, I want to be you already. Like, I want to be a producer right now. I was saying, I want to learn from you. And this is going to be the process that I'm going to implement to make that happen. Okay, this makes sense, right? So along with, basically along the guidelines of what we teach at AOC, it's make this as easy for the other guy, especially if you're reaching up and asking for them to invest time. It's just not going to happen. Time and energy for people who are busy, who don't necessarily need you because, or don't know that they need you. You've got to do all of the work and you've got to make it so easy for them to say yes that they just have nothing to lose by doing so. Exactly. And when a lot of people will ask me about sort of how I made it happen so quickly, what I say is that I focused on other people's success, but I focused on the right people. I really thought very carefully about which producers did I believe in and thought were doing really great work. And I gave my help and support to those people. But I really took the time to make the decision of which of them I talked to, because there were some that if I had done something like that, they just would have taken advantage of me. And they just would have been jerks, basically. I found the ones that really were the type where they were interested in mentoring, they were interested in helping, and they saw me as somebody who could help them achieve their goals, but they also cared about where I was going and what I was doing. How do you screen for that? Because it seems like in the beginning, nobody would care about where you're going and what you're doing. E even just a reasonably nice person would be like, whatever, I've got ish to do, I don't need this right now. Yeah. I think it really comes down to questions. I honestly think if you're asking really interesting, creative questions, if you're taking the time to really research people and you're asking them things that they never get asked, they just tend to take an interest in you. So rather than going to these producers and being like, hey, I saw that you produced this show. What was that like? Which is boring. I, I would say I saw that you worked on this project and I'm fascinated with the way that you figured out how to get these actors paid. 
can you tell me a little bit more about that process and what you did? And then they would just be really excited to talk about something that they normally never talk about. And we'd get into this conversation and then they'd say, oh, well, you know, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And it would just kind of move from there. So let's break that down a little bit. So what you did is you got really specific about something that they had done that's not the thing that's at the top of their website. Exactly. <laughs> so you didn't pull one of those, what's that Chris Farley sketch from like, SNL in the 90s was like, hey, remember that one time when it was like you and Jackie Chan and you did the like kung fu stuff? That was awesome. And they're like sitting there with the dead conversation. It makes perfect sense to do this. This requires research. And so what it kind of subcommunicates is I've actually taken a real interest in you. I want to find out this point that's not just something so superficial that it's clear that I'm only trying to show interest in you. Yep. So I'm going to research this and find something that's worth me asking you that shows that I've paid attention to your work and something that maybe you don't get to talk about all the time. So it's not just, ugh. all right, I'll give Michael Roderick my spiel on how I fund my plays or whatever. Or, you know, hey, point point me to this article that I wrote about this because I get asked so often things like that. And then. After that, the law of reciprocity kind of gets them going. Well, anyway, so enough about me. What about you to just be polite with the whole thing? And of course, if they don't ever ask you anything about you, what happens if they just never show an interest back to you? What do you do with that? That has to have happened, especially in showbiz, for God's sake. Oh, definitely, definitely. If they never show an interest back, if they never really ask any questions, I don't spend as much time sort of focusing on them. And in some cases, it's just they're not really interested in what I'm doing, because I'm not where I need to be yet for them to pay attention to me. Or they're a freaking narcissist. That's also very possible, right? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of them. You know, there are a lot of people who have made a decision, unfortunately, because they miss out on a lot of opportunities because of it, but they've made a decision to basically say, if you have not hit a certain level, if you're not doing a certain thing, you're not worth my time at all. There are just people out there who like that's sort of their M.O. Is that unreasonable, though? Maybe I'm outing myself here, but I feel like you have to do that if you meet hundreds of people and mm-hmm. they all want something from you. You know, you can try to help everybody, but sometimes that just means pointing them to your work and not engaging them in a drawn out conversation. Because I'll be honest, to play the other side of that, I get Facebook messages all the time and I get email all the time and I get tweets all the time and I do my best to reply to everything. And sometimes people, especially for some reason on Facebook, will be like, Hey, you know, where are you? Like, cause I'll, I'll log out in the middle of the conversation. Cause I'm not, I don't want to be on instant messenger. I'm treating it like email and they'll be like, where are you? Well, fine. If you don't want to talk to me and I'm like, what the heck abnormally entitled guy or, yeah. <laughs> or somebody will say, you know, this message sounds canned. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm definitely using shortcuts to put in phrases here to answer questions that I get a hundred times a day. So naturally I'm gonna say, how did you find the show? And I'm not typing that exact phrase out. I'm gonna ask you that question because half the people don't even reply anyway. Or they come out with, anyway, here's how you can help me, Jordan. So it makes sense to screen for that at a certain level because otherwise you'll spend all of your time just chatting idly and not getting anywhere. Yeah, no, and I completely agree. And I think that there's a major difference between the people who care enough to, like you, actually have feelings about it, and then the people who are just like, I don't give a shit about anybody. I've gotten to a certain level, and I'm not even going to create these templated things <laughs> and, like, and help you out or sort of send the articles. You know, I think that that's the thing. 
there are the people like you who you do want to support folks, you do want to help, but you also understand the importance of guarding your time and also saying no so that you can continue to grow. Because we all hit that point where if we say yes to a lot of things to get to a certain level, but once we hit that plateau, we have to start saying no. Otherwise, we'll just get pulled apart by all of the yeses that we're giving. Yeah, this was taught to me by somebody else on the show, a few people, but Selena Sue comes to mind. She says, picking someone's brain is often like picking their pocket, especially if they're a teacher, a thought leader, or a content creator. And it's it's very true. So what a lot of a lot of people do in, in my position is they create one of those profiles on clarity.fm, if, if you're familiar with the platform, where yeah. you can say, yeah, we can talk on the phone. I'm glad you asked. Here's my clarity.fm profile. And they go there and they can set an appointment with you and then it charges them each minute. And you can yeah. set the rate. And I'll tell you, out of the 90 requests that... I probably get, you know, each month to jump on the phone, I probably do like one. Yeah. Because people don't really want the information as bad as they say in their email when it comes time to swiping the card, right? Yeah. So, and yeah. you have to do that, otherwise you won't be able to actually create anything. Yeah, and what you're pointing out too that's really important is you're pointing out the fact that this person, if they decide to swipe their card and do the clarity call with you, they're making an investment. Yeah. So they're actually saying, this is important enough to me that I'm going to invest more than my time. So you know that if you're going to have a conversation with somebody who's willing to put some money down, chances are they're somewhat serious about what it is that they're doing. You're probably not going to have an awful conversation. I mean, sometimes you do. But for the most part, if somebody's willing to make any significant investment, you kind of know that it's going to be at least somewhat worth your while. It may not be the perfect conversation, but you know that you're not just going to be stuck on what I like to refer to as a steamroller meeting, where basically somebody just like you're Bruce Willis in the sixth sense, they just like go and go and they like pitch at you and all these different types of things. And basically, you never get a chance to get a word in edgewise. Exactly. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. 
In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and, and so the lesson here isn't just, we're so important, we charge for our time. The lesson here is, if people want your time, make them do something that proves that they're not just going to trade their time for your time, because if if they don't value their time, they're printing money and it's costing you time and money. Yeah. Also, if you want someone else's time, realize that they are entitled to value their time at their own price, and if you're not willing to pay that price, then you cannot get mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I feel like a lot of folks who ask us, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, for networking and relationship development advice, they get furious when other people value their time at all, Yeah. let alone when they value it higher than their time. But the truth of the matter is, if you're unemployed and you just graduated from college and you're looking for a job, your time is just factually, in, in my definition, less valuable than a C-level executive who's got a full plate. Sure. And it's that respect for somebody's time and that understanding of that respect, which will cause people to just look at you so differently. And it's really interesting that you point that out, because one of the things that I have a lot of conversations with uh, clients about is the idea of if you give something and it's truly a gift, a gift has no expectation of return. And if you, down the line, you reach out to the other person and they don't help you or they don't support you, you have no right to be mad. You gave a gift. You did not expect any kind of it. Like you did not structure this like, oh, I'm going to get this thing back. So you have to be conscious of that because a lot of people get into this mode of like, oh, well, if I did this, I'm going to get this thing in return or this thing's going to happen. And the world doesn't work that way. And relationships don't work that way. We build credibility with people and some people then choose to help us, but it's their choice to help us. It's not that, oh, I did this thing for you, so now you have to do this thing for me. Exactly, yeah. We have a course called Social Capital, and the, the principle you're talking about right now, the mistake, I should say, 
is called Keeping Score. I don't think we made that up, and it's certainly not that creative. But the idea is you have to actually give generously. You cannot give and keep score, because what that would be like, it would be like after the show when you're like, oh, okay, well, now that I've been on your show and given you my wonderful content, I want you to mail my event out to your email list. And I'm like, well, (laughs) no, that's not really a great fit, but thanks for the offer. And then you're like, what a jerk. I took my time and I went on your show and now you're not going to do anything for me. And at that point, and we've all had this happen, I feel like no matter what stage, whenever that happens, you just, my heart breaks a little because I'm like, oh, you didn't want to do anything that we just did together. You just wanted something else. We call it a covert contract where I was going to somehow pay you back. But since I wasn't aware of that and I'm not going to honor it, you're actually mad. And that's bad news because that will torpedo a budding relationship, friendship, anything that you've got faster than just about anything. Because what it says is you're not generous and and you're not genuine either. Yeah. And I think what happens is uh, I am a, a very, very big believer in frameworks versus formulas. What does that mean? So basically, if somebody's following a formula, they read a book or they read a blog post or they listen to a podcast. And they literally say things the exact same way that they heard it or that they read it in the book and they sound like a robot and they sound like like a magazine or, or an article. And with frameworks, if somebody gives you a bunch of ideas or concepts, you choose how you're going to actually execute on that framework, on that idea. So you look at the principles as opposed to, oh, I'm going to say it this exact way. Like I hate when somebody sort of frames it like, how can I help you? I'm like, okay, what book did you read? And why are you opening with that question? Yeah, a lot of people do that. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I appreciate when somebody asks what they can do for me, even if it is a little bit scripted, but it's certainly better if it's not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing is like, if you don't actually care, like if you don't actually want to help the other person, then don't try to fudge it. Like, don't be like, Oh, well, you know, I I learned that I have to ask this person about it's like, if you don't really think that what they're doing is valuable or or helpful, or you're not excited about it, don't say, Oh, I'd love to learn more and get to know you better just because they have a large following or or something like that, because they're going to find you out. And they're going to be pissed when it's like, oh, well, you just came and similar to what you were talking about before, you just came and did this or acted this way so that I would do this thing for you. Right. And look, I get it that people need things and I get that people want things in return sometimes. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's not the part that's annoying or irritating or even even disappointing. The part that's disappointing is now I'm rewinding everything you've ever done with me, every (laughs) chance, every combo we've ever had, every project. And I'm going, at what point did you plan to spring this on me at what point it's like it was all just a big lie right it's just <laughs> did you ever love me right it's like that yeah. cuz you're just like when did your agenda kick in and was any of it real <laughs> to put a dramatic spin on it and that's the part that's super disappointing cuz you feel like you're not really friends so how do we start to fix this i mean there's definitely anxiety on the flip side of the coin about asking for anything 
and that affects the network you've developed. It, asking for things directly can be really touchy. I mean, how do we even start to handle this in the first place? Because yes, okay, we've already kind of covered this and we, we beat this to death in social capital and on the art of charm. Help other people all the time, as much as possible, as much as you can afford to, without the expectation of anything in return. But at some point, you do have to expect or ask for, at least, generosity, or, or you're only working one side of the equation. It just has to be done correctly. Yeah. So basically, everybody falls on this spectrum of anxiety, right? And on one side, you have extreme asking anxiety. And what I find is that most people who have a very giving nature naturally usually fall on the far end of that anxiety spectrum. They're really, really worried about asking because they feel like they're basically kind of putting somebody else out by asking, even if they've helped and sort of supported and done a lot of other things. And then on the other side of the spectrum is what I like to refer to as asking blinders. So once you sort of get to this point where it's just like, oh my God, I need this thing, you suddenly just like, you become stupid. You just start asking everybody, you like, you just destroy things because you're so focused on that thing that you want to get. And that ties to this idea of direct asking that we get taught all the time, this really, really crappy advice of like, well, you know, you don't get if you don't ask or ask for what you want and all this other stuff. And then everybody translates that as, oh, I should ask directly. I should go to the person and basically be like, do this thing for me. And what it does just psychologically is it's like we're back in the wild and the other person's trying to steal our food, right? Our primitive brains go into effect. So on the anxiety side, you're freaked out because you're asking directly because you're feeling that feeling of I'm taking food. And on the other person's side, they're like, you're trying to steal from me. You're trying to take something. So it almost always ends up feeling very, very uncomfortable when somebody asks directly. And I'm sure you've experienced this. We were just talking about it where it's like somebody just comes to you and they're like, can you blast this out to your email list? Or can you do this? And it's just like, what? Where the hell did this come from? Why? And I think there's so much out there where we're taught that, oh, that person broke into somebody's office and asked for it and they got it. So that's going to be me. That's great for marketing. But it's really, really awful for real life. It makes a great news story to be like, I talked to somebody in an elevator and they gave me a million dollar investment because I asked them directly about my company. It's really, really awful for anybody who decides I'm going to do that because they're gonna damage a lot of relationships. It's super true, it reminds me of my friend Jesse Itzler who was on the show before. He used to do this thing where he'd be like, hey, I represent some famous like hip hop artist or something and he'd get a record executive in a meeting and he'd go, Eminem must be running late. Anyway, in the meantime, here's this other artist and he's like playing his own demo tape to kill time. Oh my God. He did that a lot and he's like, and it worked eventually or something like that. But the thing is, I'm sure there were a lot of bridges burned behind it. And the lesson wasn't, this is how you get your meeting. The lesson was more hustle related, but I, I definitely see people doing this and I, I get a lot of really obnoxious stuff. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to complain. I'm only speaking from experience here. Get a lot of pitches and things like that as well. And when I'm like, hey, look, this isn't a great way to do that. Please look, there's a lot of stuff you 
shouldn't be doing here. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they'll go, well, look, man, you know, I'm all about the hustle. You never get if you don't ask. And it's like, yeah, but you CC'd me on a mail with the same message with like 84 other podcasters and you put a scheduling link for me to schedule a time to talk with you. That's not going to get a lot of results. Yeah. You know, no. <laughs> and then, they, of course, that's a waste of my breath because usually their argument is, well, I've already gotten five replies from other people on that same thread. So it's your loss. And I'm just like, why do I kill myself over these things? <laughs> but it's true. You can screen in poor relationships by having poor relationship building habits is kind of what I'm, I'm going to because you might create a bunch of fake meetings or something like that. And one of them might hit. But in the meantime, there's 83 other people that don't ever want to see you again and are telling each other not to deal with you. It's, it's really a losing strategy. Yeah, there was the whole thing about when the Powerball thing was happening, a lot of articles were going around about how, you know, the lottery is basically helping you understand that a lot of people are just not really good at math, right? Yeah. And there's just so many folks who they read that story or they see that thing. I like to refer to it as sort of the myth of the deus ex machina. So um, in the Greek sort of tragedies, if something was going really poorly, instead of actually solving the problem, a god would just come down from the heavens and be like, everything's fine now. And nobody would have to like deal with their shit. And basically, that's the thing that we have this belief that one thing is just going to like transform everything. Like if I do this one thing, all of a sudden, it's going to make you know, everything change for me. And that's playing the lottery. It really is. it's saying that this one thing is going to solve it. So I need to make sure that I ask, because if I ask for this one thing, it's going to change my life. And in so many cases, it doesn't. It's funny you should use that. I was literally, I was like, should I talk about how this is kind of like Powerball? Nah, it's cliche. And then you were like, <laughs> it's like the lottery. It's very true because people say, look, you have a 25% chance of getting into a crash if you text and drive. And people are like, huh, not me. And then it's like, you have a one in 226 million chance of winning Powerball. And then suddenly it's dumb and dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable, but it, it definitely goes towards what you were saying, which is if the consequences seem really awesome, you'll take those odds. Oh, yeah. And if they're negative, you're kind of like, mm, I'm fine. I'm yeah. not going to get an STD. <laughs> no, I don't need to wash my hands. This is uh, All humans do this. I'm not trying to poke fun at anybody, but you don't want this to be your strategy. Let yeah. it be your vice or your fault, but definitely don't let it be your strategy. Yeah, well, I definitely agree. So the question is always sort of like, okay, if I'm not going to ask directly, how do I rethink this? So there's four ways that you can think about asking. And the first is, of course, the direct ask. And we talked about sort of the dangers and the issues around that. But the uh, next one is the indirect ask. And the indirect ask is a really, really powerful tool. And it's one of the best ways that I use to raise money. Because basically what it does is you present a problem to somebody and then you give them the opportunity to be the hero. And it's up to them whether or not they want to help you or sort of support you. But you just kind of present this problem that you're having and you ask them if they have any ideas. And what's really interesting is if you ask somebody if they have any ideas, very few people will say no, because it kind of feels bad to be like, oh, no, I, I don't have any ideas. I never think of anything. I never think of any way to solve a problem. You know, most people will, will come up with at the very least something to sort of help you and support you. And when I would raise money, that was one of the biggest things I would go to people and I'd basically be like, I'm raising money for this show. And I'm trying to think of sort of the best people to talk to who do this kind of thing. Do you have any ideas? Oh, I totally envisioned you being like, 
So here's the problem. I really need a lot of money. Do you have any ideas <laughs> on where I could get any, Mr. Rich Guy? Anything at all. And just spitballing. I'm open to anything you have to say on the matter. Yeah, I think it, it um, you know, to your point, it has to be a little more sophisticated. Like, <laughs> Okay, fair enough. You have to sort of present the value of it and sort of what, what it is. But a lot of the time when you present people with problems, we're just kind of obsessed with the idea of solving them. So when you put a problem out there, it's kind of hard to not solve the problem, especially if you're just a nice person and you're just like, you hear it and you're like, hmm, that's something that maybe I can help with or maybe I can support. And I would get lots of introductions to potential investors. I would get lots of introductions to other producers. And in many cases, I would say, listen, I know very little about this industry. I'm just learning. And I would love to know whether or not you think this is a viable show. Like I would just ask them point blank. And then they'd sit there and we'd talk about it. And in some cases, they'd be like, yeah, I want to invest in this after they sort of went through the process of it. And then in other cases, they'd say, you know what, this really isn't a fit for me but you seem like you really are interested in this and excited about this, I'm going to pass it along to my friend who I think it could be a fit for. And it really just kind of changes the dynamic when you present people with problems and interesting problems. If you're asking really good questions in that way, you never know like what's going to happen. And the way that I look at it is that you limit the things that you can get in life when you limit other people's creativity. So if you decide like, this is what I want, and, and to your first example of, I just need a boatload of money, do you have any ideas how I can get a boatload of money? <laughs> well, there's not going to be a lot of creativity in that conversation. But right. if you say, I'm really trying to figure out the best way to have conversations with people who have either invested in shows before or done that, do you have any thoughts? Do you have any ideas? Somebody could come up with the most random, crazy thing, but it could be huge for you. They'd be like, you know what? A bunch of real estate investors basically had a lot of money that they have to get rid of right now because they're worried about taxes. So why don't you talk to these three guys because they're looking to invest in things so that they don't get hit this year. And it's like all of a sudden, now you've got a completely different sort of channel that you can kind of go to. If we're sort of pinging other people to ping their network on our behalf, are we doing the same thing for them? It depends. So a lot of the time that, you know, we're asking for them to help or support us, they're going to help us in a very specific way because we've given them a specific way to help us. We've actually educated them as to how to help us. Most of the time, we don't educate the people in our lives who want to support us and who want to help us very well. So that same person who helped you or found people in their network to support you they may not come back to you asking for that exact same thing. They may come back to you asking for something else, or they may never actually come back to you asking for something. So it's one of those things where there are many times where you'll talk to somebody about making a connection or sort of supporting in some way, and they'll do it by making an introduction for you. But then maybe you invite them to come to an event later on, or you invite them or let them know about an opportunity, or maybe you let them know about a book that changes their life. There's so many different ways to support and help people. And we don't always have to sort of think about it as, oh, if they give me introductions, I should be giving introductions to them because they may not actually want introductions. They may be interested in something completely different. Interesting, right, and we have to fish out what that might be. How do we break our network down into maybe categories or grades, or is there any value to that? How do we know 
who to focus our energy and our time on. Once we have such a large network, you got to prioritize things somehow or we'll just drown. Yeah. So the way that I do it, and this has worked really well for me, is I created this ABCD model. And basically, the A's are the advocates. So anybody who I consider an advocate is somebody who has spent a lot of time supporting, being helpful. They're kind of a natural giver type. And they tell other people about the work that I'm doing. They're always asking sort of, how can I help? They're really thoughtful people. With advocates, you spend more time with those people. I think that the mistake that we often make is that we spend the exact same amount of time with people all across this spectrum of categories. And advocates are the people that you want to spend more time with because they're willing to support you and they're willing to help you. So the next one is uh, what I like to refer to as the boomerangs. And the boomerangs are the people in your life who everything with them, to your point of keeping score, everything with them is a negotiation or a deal. They very rarely ever give gifts. Everything with them is a transaction. So you'll find that with boomerangs, it's like if you're going to help them, they're going to be right in touch with you like the next second to basically be like, oh, can you do this thing for me? Or if there's some sort of a deal, they're already talking about percentages before you even talk about what the deal looks like. They're very, very structured about sort of like everything needs to be fair. And they're all about reciprocity in as quick sort of a manner as possible. And boomerangs tend to not get very deep with you. They tend to not be incredibly helpful because they're more focused on the specifics of the deal. They're more focused on sort of how is this going to work out for both of us? How is it going to work out? Probably a little bit better for me. And they're very, very focused around reciprocity. Yeah, that seems like there's nothing wrong with it on its face, but it could get a little annoying if every time you need anything, they're trying to figure out what's in it for them. Or am I mischaracterizing the relationship? No, no, you're definitely right. It's it's one of those things where there's never a gift. There's never something that they're just doing for you. It's always structured. They're always going to have some sort of deal attached to what it is. They're always coming to you with some new like, oh, if you do this, you can make this much money. It's never, hey, here's something that will help you. It's always sort of back and forth. And, and you get a lot of those folks in sort of structured networking groups because they've read these books or they've done these programs. And basically, you know, I should get a referral because I sent you a referral because that's what they learned in their networking group. So you want to spend less time with those folks. Yeah. So these are like scorekeepers, only the scorekeeping just permeates their entire life. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. That's awful. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> you can't avoid that entirely. It's just it's so pervasive. Exactly. But, but you're right. You got to spot it early. And the way that we spot this, I'm guessing, is just looking for people who are always trying to figure out how the equilibrium is going to come back to them in their favor, kind of right at the point of sale. Like, oh, yeah, I'm happy to introduce you to this person. And by the way, can you introduce me to this guy? Might be innocent the first time it happens, but if you ask them again and then they're like, and also I would like this from you, it starts to become like, well, why can't you just introduce me to somebody without me also doing some other random, seemingly unrelated thing for you? Exactly. Exactly. 
I 100% agree. That makes sense. How can we tell who are advocates, by the way? It might be obvious, but I figured I would ask just so we can identify these people more easily. Yeah, I think that advocates are proactive. There are very few people who will just kind of reach out basically to say, how are things going with you? Or they'll read something of yours and they'll come back to you and say, I read that you were having this issue. Here's something that I can do to help. Or they'll invite you to dinners. They'll do things that are more proactive than anything else. They really take the time to care and think about you. And even when you're talking to them, if you have your sort of initial interaction, like your first meeting with them, Most of the time, if you're dealing with an advocate, they'll spend much more time talking about you than they will about themselves. So the balance of the meeting will be a lot of them asking you questions and trying to be helpful and sort of thoughtful to you. And in some cases, you may even have to ask them to tell you a little bit about them because sometimes they'll just spend the whole time asking about you and seeing how they can help you. Yeah, that makes sense. So obviously, if we had it our way, there would be very few boomerangs and a lot of advocates, but not always realistic. Okay, got it. Yeah. So the C's are the celebrities. And the interesting thing about celebrities is that everybody is a celebrity to somebody. So these are people who they have a certain amount of access, they have a certain amount of power, they have a certain amount of influence. And the way that you handle your relationship with them has to be much more careful because their time is incredibly valuable. They uh, get hit up all the time by lots of different types of people. They're often sort of used in many situations and asked directly for a lot of different types of things. So if you do encounter somebody who's got that kind of level of notoriety within your network, It's important to know that that's kind of how they're regarded so that you can make sure that you're not abusing that relationship. You know, it's it's kind of the classic when somebody's like, oh, I'm friends with, you know, Samuel L. Jackson. We're best buddies. And they're actually not, you know, but they're sort of throwing that around all the time as a way to sort of move their own, you know, move their own things forward. And they're not really showing respect for that relationship. Right. Yeah. Okay. so it's they're kind of acting like they're creating relationships and managing them with you, but really it's kind of a facade to make sure they get their own stuff done. Yeah, exactly. Got it, okay. And then the last group are the Ds, which are the drains. And it's important to note that there are two types of drains that will come into your life. And the first is just the basic, this is somebody who they just, they only care about themselves, they're self-obsessed, They basically only want what they want. They're really, really focused on themselves. They don't care about you. And by the time you're done talking to them, you feel physically and emotionally drained because they just spent the entire time asking you for things or trying to get things from you. But the other side of drains, the other group, are the people who they are in such a state of either pain or need in their life that they can't fathom doing anything other than asking and trying to get whatever it is that they get. And the interesting thing is that there are probably times in all of our lives where we do fall into the category of being a drain. Sure. You know, where we need that attention and we need that. But the thing is, in our networks, we really need to pay attention to how many of those people there are and how much time we're devoting. Because if we're spending a ton of time with those drains, it's hard to be as supportive and helpful to our advocates. 
And we're not actually spending enough time with the advocates because we get so caught up in trying to solve all of the problems for the drain. And actually ties back to when I was a teacher. You want to be very, very careful of trying to solve somebody's problem. Because if you're just doing everything that you can to solve it, and you're never giving them the opportunity to learn something on their own or develop something on their own, they become incredibly dependent. And then they don't actually learn, they don't actually move forward. So you always want to help as much as you can, but also understand that they're going to have to kind of move things forward, and you don't want to enable them. Ah, interesting. So what do we do? We just kind of cut and run? I don't think so. I think, you know, depending on the type, some people, yes, I think, I think if you're encountering a a drain, that's just a pain in your life, and it's really difficult, then yes, you probably need to cut that relationship out because it's going to be damaging to you. But if there are people that you really care about, but they've sort of hit that point of they're kind of a drain on, on the resources, that's when you have to be very conscious for yourself of what are you willing to give? How much can you really do for this person? And then you have to be honest with them about where you're at and what you can actually do. I think one of the reasons why drains will take a lot from us is that we don't set those boundaries. And we'll just sit there and listen to them for the three hours or whatever. And we won't say, listen, I really understand sort of where this is coming from, but I only have this amount of time. Or I can't really help you with this particular aspect. There might be other things I can help you with, but this is not what I'm going to be able to help you with. Huh, great. So the key for drains and in general are boundaries. You don't have to totally bounce, but you just have to know how much you're going to let someone drain before you say, okay, look, you know, I can't deal with this anymore. This is, you're killing me. Exactly. And we talked pre-show about different archetypes that you can find at events. Were those the archetypes or are there different archetypes of people as well? Yeah, those are different archetypes. You got lots of archetypes, man. I love it. I'm a fan of shoving people into pigeonholes. I I love it. (laughs) Well, it makes it easier, you know? (laughs) It does. I mean, look, if we're going to systemize social intelligence, archetypes are the way to do it. I don't know a better way. So. I would love to hear about these as well, because if we're at events, which many of us are in larger social environments, if we can find out what type of person someone is, it makes it a whole lot less terrifying to go up and and introduce ourselves or ask for something or introduce them to somebody else or, or anything in that category at all. What are these archetypes and how do we identify them and then how do we use them for ourselves? Sure. So the best way to think about it is think about it like an ocean. So you come to this event and basically you're you're now in the ocean. <clears throat> and the first archetype that you're going to encounter are sharks. And sharks are very easily spottable because they want as much attention as possible. So this is the person who's kind of moving from event to event. Their eyes are darting around to try and find like who's the most important. They're in clusters of people and they're like just kind of talking about themselves. They're handing business cards in some cases like into somebody's face before they even halfway introduce themselves. Uh, And they're really all about just like moving through the room like they're the work the room people. And if you get stuck with a shark, chances are you're going to be cornered in a section of that party and you're going to have a lot of trouble kind of getting away because they're just all about telling you about themselves and and sort of pushing their own agenda. It's one of those things where with those types, you've really got to be very firm and just kind of be like, uh, yeah, great to hear about, you know, your insurance company or your skincare work or, or whatever. I've got somebody else in a meeting. I'm going to head over to them. 
Uh, really nice meeting you. And then just kind of get out of there uh, because sharks will just dominate. Eject. Exactly. Um, and the next group are what I refer to as the dolphins. So the dolphins are the people who cluster together. So they came there because their friend told them to come there. So they're like, I'm going to cluster with my friends so that I don't feel awkward about the fact that I don't know anybody here. So what they'll do is they'll create this little cluster of people. And for the most part, they do not want anybody to enter into that cluster. Why? Because they're, they're nervous? Is that why? Sometimes it's nerves. And other times it's that they have established for themselves this sort of sense of like, we are the same and anybody who comes into this circle is different. So they don't want new people in. And it could be that, you know, they had a really intense conversation right before they went to the event. So now they get to the event and they've clustered because they want to keep talking about their own thing. And they're not actually interested in having anybody else sort of enter into the conversation. So dolphins tend to cluster and they tend to be less likely to have a conversation with you. And one of the best ways to deal with sort of dolphin cluster is identify one person, basically talk to that person. No matter what the cluster is, there's always somebody who's not engaged. There's always somebody who's not actually listening to the 10th time that so-and-so, you know, dropped their hairdryer down the sink or, or whatever, you know, and they're basically open to that opportunity. So going up to that cluster and just saying hello to one person can often get you into that group. And sometimes they just break off from the cluster and they start having a conversation with you. So it's it's like a crystal. You got to go in there and disrupt it, destroy exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. Fusion um, or fission. Yeah. <laughs> um got it. All right, back to the show. So the third group are what I like to refer to as those who are drowning. And every party, every event that you go to, there are people who they are not happy about the fact that they are there. So they have found a corner where they can look at their cell phone. They've found a section of the bar or they've found an area where they can eat food. Uh, and they're just kind of standing around. And in many cases, they're just suffering. They are not very happy. And they're just kind of standing around sort of in that world. And that ties to the last archetype because you can help these people by being the last archetype, which is the lifeguard. And the lifeguard is the person who looks around the room for who's feeling uncomfortable and goes up to them and says hello. And if you are having a lot of anxiety about approaching a cluster of dolphins or you're looking at a room and you're just like, oh my God, I don't know who to talk to. If you look around for somebody who's just kind of standing on their own and feeling kind of awkward, it's very rare that if you go up and say hello, that they're going to be rude to you or mean to you. Now, every once in a while, you are going to encounter somebody who's like, I don't want to talk to you. But most of the time, you're going to find somebody be, basically be like, thank you for talking to me, because they feel awkward, they feel kind of miserable. So it's a really great tool to just kind of look around and say, okay, who is just hanging around and doesn't seem to be having a good time? And maybe I should go up to them and see if they're open to having a conversation. Now, this makes sense. The problem is, of course, we have to get over the idea of actually approaching and starting a conversation, which is is not that bad, especially once we've got these archetypes in play. And of course, uh, again, we know we talk about this a lot in social capital. If people are interested in kind of getting the basics uh, for that and then getting more advanced with it, because th this stuff parallels really, really well. 
What about the gate strategy? We talked pre-show about having a good balance with our networking and relationship development, and I, I like the gate strategy because, again, I love giving more than anything. That's the whole idea behind social capital is give, give, give. But as we mentioned earlier, you still have to ask. There's also other parts of this relationship. I think keeping them in mind as a whole instead of just ask, 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 take, 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 or give, 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 having the gate strategy in play is very helpful and useful and makes it more palatable, frankly, and sustainable. Yeah. So so the way I always sort of look at it is that what you basically want to do is you want to make sure that you're always opening and closing the gate every day. So every day you make it a point to give without expectation of return and really ask yourself, like, did I actually give or was there something that I was expecting or was there something that I was trying to do? Like really make sure that you actually are giving without expectation of return. Every day you should be asking for something that you want because most of the time we spend a lot of time, I call it the giving fix. So every time we give, it releases oxytocin, we feel good. And we can get hooked on just sort of giving and as a result, never let people know what it is that we need, never ask. So by making it so that if you are giving, you also make it a point to ask, you're starting to create a balance so that you're always letting others know what it is that you need help with. And if you're using those different techniques of asking and you're really presenting different opportunities and and you're asking in very smart ways, you're going to feel comfortable doing it anyway. Then the uh, next one is thanking. Very, very rarely are people thanked appropriately. Most of the time we get the sort of like THX email or somebody like writes, you know, oh, thanks so much for doing that. You know, it's like one sentence. And very rarely does anybody ever sit down and say, here's what you did. Here's what it meant. And here's why I appreciate you for it. So if every day you take the time to say, who did something for me? that I really appreciated, and then say, how can I thank them? What can I do to say thank you? And really taking the time to thank them appropriately, it can be an incredibly powerful thing. You know, and unfortunately, I probably do send the occasional thanks so much for this, but I feel like when I do that, it's somebody that I already knew. Mm -hmm. So, but I don't know if that's better, right? Shouldn't I be thanking my friends more? Although I do reciprocate a lot more with them too by actually making intros for them and responding yeah. every time they ask me for something. But how do we make a thank you that we need to do repeatedly, not scripted, canned, and actually meaningful? I think it's just a matter of going back to a lot of the stuff we talked about earlier of specifics. It doesn't take that much longer to write one or two sentences specifically as to what this person did and what it meant. So Thanks so much for introducing me to this person. We had a great conversation about this, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do so. That can be enough because now they know why they're being thanked and they know what kind of impact it had. So they're still thinking about us and we don't have to write this massive letter about it, but we're getting specific and we're making sure that they know the impact of what they did because if they know the impact of what they did, chances are they're going to think about helping us in the future and they're going to say, wow, that really helped Jordan before. I'm going to do something similar because I got this very specific thank you showing me that what I did worked. Excellent. I think that makes sense because you don't just thank profusely. You actually say, look, here's how I implemented it. Here's what I implemented. Here's what happened. 
That's a real thank you, and it's it's all it's basically a testimonial case study for them. Yep. If they need that type of thing. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Of course, if you want more from Michael, we're going to have a masterclass in our social capital product as well at theartofcharm.com slash social. That'll be just a small part of a, of a bigger networking and relationship development course from AOC. Thanks so much, Michael. Have a great evening, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Jordan. Man, Jason, that was one of the best shows we've done in a really long time. I like that. And this is your find, if I'm not mistaken. So props, props. Yeah, so much there. You know, there's there's something special when he just breaks down the different archetypes. I mean, as anyone who's a, an AOC fan knows, we love archetypes. We've got the value archetypes. We've got the personality archetypes that we teach at boot camp that we've taught in the toolbox. And he's got the networking archetypes and the gate strategy. I mean, this is all stuff that I'm just like, I want to adopt this and, you know, AOCify it as well, because this just fits so well with what we do. And it's it's very well codified as to what we actually practice and what we teach in social capital as well. So that masterclass that comes out of this is also excellent. So I'm, I'm very stoked for this. And the boomerang, I mean, how many of those do we know? We just know tons of those. We know tons of all of these personality archetypes. But honestly, now that we know what we're looking for, we can be like, ah, that don't want that. You know, we want to look for the the advocates and the you know, these types of different archetypes. Now that we can spot it, man, and we can see that behavior in ourselves too, as with any archetype, the mirror on ourselves is always a little bit scary as well. And that's even more important because then we can eliminate that type of behavior in ourselves. So if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Michael on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as, of course, his book and courses, resources mentioned on the show, including the social capital course that we talked about here from The Art of Charm. You can tap our album art in most mobile podcast players to see the show notes right on your phone. I'm also on Twitter. I share a lot of stuff that doesn't make the show notes, and I engage a lot there as well. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. Bootcamp details, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Remember, we're sold out a few months in advance. Get in touch, get some info. Subscribe and review in iTunes. When you do that, it makes us love you forever. It's also the best way to support us other than purchasing products and training from us. Special thanks to both the Jasons and to Fogarty for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com.